Oh, it'd be nice to know what your purpose was and just be like, it's the pre the challenge of making, of course, it's just an Android. It's like, well, now what's it for? And you're like, oh, I got to give your life meaning now, too. <laughs> well, speaking of giving your life meaning, welcome to Gay Space Communism, the Alpha Quadrant's only podcast that is in a flagrant attempt to get someone to pay attention to me. Um, I am, of course, Paul Byron, and I am joined by... Well, some of my, the usual gang of explorers. And yeah, that's right. Alphabetical order. Heck yeah. Gotta have a system. Hey, y'all. I'm Amy. Hey, this is Corey. And Paul, I gotta disagree a little bit with your premise there. I don't think this is the only podcast designed to bring attention to you because you do have another podcast. Oh, well, that's true. <laughs> I do. I do appear regularly on Critical Bits, America's favorite <laughs> teenage superhero body horror actual play super teen podcast and it is a great deal of fun you can always listen to that it's a little grotesque but it's a great time no we we have a similar capitalist hellscape it's just an alternate present instead of the imagined future so yes that's fair and i've been listening to that because we just dropped an episode this week and i wanted to listen to it again uh so that's what i've been listening to this has been crepton's log for paul byron let's keep it moving amy Corey, watching stuff we're doing the Amzadi report again? Are we doing what do we got? Voyager? I have nothing new to add. I have not been buying new books on on Audible lately. <laughs> no, come back to me when we get to the topic, because I have a lot to complain about. Oh, okay. Fantastic. Well, I kind of went back to I finally like fell back into my uh, my chronological groove because I'm actually towards the end of that whole journey. You know, I, I worked my way through all of the trek and then I got to lower decks in the timeline and I was uh, you know having to wait each week for an episode, which was a real downer. But you know, got through second season lower decks and of course loved it. Lower decks is amazing. If you haven't watched lower decks, you need to stop what you're doing and well after you listen to this podcast, go watch lower decks. After you leave a five star review on your favorite podcast <laughs> platform, thanks. That's that's right. That's right. But uh, so I went back after like a little kind of sidebar to revisit Voyager. I went back to my, my chronological viewing and I just rewatched Picard and that was the next phase in the timeline. And now I'm I'm at Discovery season three, which I had watched most of before, but I stopped uh, when I decided to do this chronological thing. I, I quit watching Discovery season three and went all the way back to the beginning and, you know, started uh, started watching everything in order. So that's where I'm at now. I'm I'm close to the end of Discovery season three, and I'm getting into some of the new episodes that I hadn't seen yet. So, ah, well, soon you'll be getting to the hotel staff uniforms that apparently everyone wears. <laughs> I meant uh, I'm watching Terra Firmer Part One right now. I, yeah, yeah, you'll be, yeah. That's it's. A, I really like what they did with season three. Also, particularly yeah. like Picard, which I'm going to loop back on and do a joke on because, well, it's um, old man yelled at by cloud. <laughs> it's computing anyway that's that's been fun. no that's a good time I, I do like the new stuff a lot there is some some moments where i'm like watching discovery i'm like no this is a moment where they look at the camera and say a thing for the sizzle reel no don't do it well there's so few of those i'm not actually that mad at him you know yeah, I think like stylistically and even content-wise, Discovery is unique from all the other treks. They still have a lot of the same formulaic things we talked about before, like the Planet of the Week stuff, the time loop episodes, you know, some of those those old tricks. But, you know, in terms of just like the way the story is structured and told, I think is is a standout from the way other treks are, are done. You know, I, I like it. It's different. I don't know that it's my favorite. But we talked I mean, about, I think, it's, earlier in the about that about the series and making the transition from write me 40 of these a year to right. make me a 12 arc single shot story that also gives you a bunch of backstory and stuff that we can drag into arc two right. in season two if you get it but make sure it wraps up kind of shit yeah yeah no but i mean it's it's perfectly cast and it's you know beautifully constructed and framed and shot and you know it's it's good trek it's a great trek actually I, mean, I love discovery but i just recently saw the episode again where they featured the uss nog and uh, legitimately teared up like uh, such a beautiful tribute that they did to aaron eisenberg man it's the first he's, he's the first damn ferengi in the federation you gotta give him a damn shit right give that man some respect you put some respect on those lobes and look who's joined us oh beaming straight onto the bridge it's rachel what's up we're doing crapton's log Hi, everybody. Sorry I'm late. I'm feeling a little under the weather, uh, which is also the only excuse I'm going to give the audiophiles who complain about my voice sounding like shit. You're welcome that I'm here. <laughs> I don't know who would complain about that. Your voice always sounds great, even right now. Uh, that's 
very generous of you. I feel like I got a frog in my throat. I've never had an MP3 raise the content of my voice to me ever. So I'm a wave file or whatever, yeah. whatever audacity file this gets broken out into should be relatively difficult to offend. But I mean, if we put our minds to it, I wouldn't put it past us. What you've been yeah. watching? You say so you, you claim you're sick. Tell me I what television sick. you've been watching too much of. So I actually binge watched All of Another Life, which is, it's like a man versus alien kind of drama. It stars Katie Sackhoff, who, you know, was Starbuck in Battlestar Galactica playing basically the same character, but this time she's a mom and she's got it together a little more or whatever. And they end up getting contacted by this like alien race that basically just drops a giant like crystal turd on the ground in the middle of like, you know, Wichita or whatever. And they go on an interstellar mission to try and make contact with the people that they think sent it. And along the way, they figure out that actually they're like genocidal and evil and blah, blah, blah. Oh, so it's the 30 minutes of, v of VHS footage that she comes back with in contact, but like spread out over eight hours. Basically, yeah. And I mean, there's other stuff going on too, right? Because like they end up off course and they have like, you know, elements to fight against and stuff. And it's like, there oh, are no, other I'm struggles. looking at these characters. They all have, they yeah. all have very intense looks on their faces. Like they're yes. engaging in interpersonal conflicts and they power are, struggles. They're fighting. Because there's so few of them in such a small space. Yes. One thing I really, really liked about the show actually was just representation, period. I thought it had really, really good representation across the board, including queer representation. Like there's a thruple. There's a lot of fucking in the show, just to be clear. There's a thruple and Katie Sackhoff's character ends up having sex with the like AI that like does the fucking chip or whatever at one point or Don't another. have sex with your phones, team. Yeah, it's listen, that one's a little weird, but I hate to say it, but people have been having sex with their phones for years. That's <laughs> uh, true. Not with through your phone is one thing. With your phone is just wipe it. Just wipe it off after. Um, shall I shall I read off the top five uh improvised vibrators again? Anything yeah, anything can be a dildo if you're brave enough. A lot of corners on phones is what I'm saying, you know. Nope. Anything if you're brave enough. Kaplock. Okay, okay, then. Um <laughs> <laughs> well that that looks good i like a space show yeah, i do yeah, you're no, doing I like courage it. talking about a space show yeah. so this is a current this is relatively current life like a sort of ne relatively near future uh-huh also everybody's really hot what is a tv show i mean but like there's a lot of tv shows that have some like solidly mediocre attractive levels but everybody in this one is just smoking like especially for a sci-fi show no there's a lot of character actors right. yeah yeah you know what i mean and by character actors i mean actors people that actually know how to act actors who aren't hot enough <laughs> to play the lead right because that's that's really what it comes down to is hot people just assume they get to be the lead or whatever shit you know nobody makes the like boring looking person the lead. Just it's hot. hollywood they're extremely shallow on the other hand we're talking about a show where the lead guys are a shatner and namoy two of the hottest heart throbs in the 60s so and there's a lot of Listen. separated boobs on these programs as well that being said yeah no that seems that looks cool i'm gonna give this a try it's only gotten worse with time too the standard of hotness has only gotten hotter like i think oh, I marilyn know. monroe would have been like a solid b-lister you know nowadays well, Look, they can only photograph you from the three angles with the black and white photograph, and then they airbrush and touch it to colorize it. It's a different yeah. time for appearances and selling an image. Yep. Reminds me of, oh, what is it, that uh, like the crooners benefited specifically from the shitty radios of the time? Like, oh, the tinny mm -hmm. speaker? That sounds better. Or the way like an auto-tuned thing will come out better through a small cell phone speaker. It's not necessarily a dictate of the form, but it's like we just figure out, oh, that sounds better through that. So now we do that. And, well, pretty soon you're just going to look straight into the hologram of, of Starbuck and ask her for a, a coffee while she's in the movie. How many white male singers specifically in the 60s were famous because they had bad voices? Like, I love Johnny Cash, but Johnny Cash, mediocre singer at best. Bob Dylan, um, Bob for Dylan. sure. Bob Dylan. I was about to say Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan, I'm gonna vaguely also wander around kind of the notoriously track. boring looking. <laughs> right. It is like the, the, the essence of like how white men can just fail up. <laughs> yep. 
I mean, they're, they're fun, but you know, okay. So how do you get jobs? Great question. That's kind of what I wanted to ask you here to talk about. How do you get jobs? How do societies allocate human activity and expertise and skill and interest towards the tasks that need to be done? And why is our society so fucking bad at it? And I don't know. Well, okay. Like, so there, how, what is the regime you would use to put people in the place where the work needs to be done? How would you make sure it was duly compensated? How do you make sure there's not a shitload of people just doing spreadsheets for 80k a year for no reason, et cetera, et cetera? Well, you know, even if they are, you know, maybe if we dive back into this subject another time, I'll invite one of my MMT buddies on to talk about the jobs guarantee and how that works. Oh, I'm pro make work, but it's just insane in light of the people that pick food make oh, like a dollar a bushel for radishes and then 100%. I let them sit in my fridge. Like that's nightmarish. And it's so like, so I wanted to talk about that because like, how do we value different kinds of labor? Yeah, versus, and how we allocate it yeah. and like make sure yeah. it's doing stuff. So like in Starfleet, for example, you can just kind of test into shit. Like you just do really well at some academic thing and they're like, oh, hey, we're going to put you on a ship. And like, there's some jockeying, but like for the large part, there is definitely, and we'll talk about it in a little bit, other problems, but I just appreciate this method of like some other, I mean, it's ultimately, it's a form of central planning, but how do you make sure everyone's doing something that they don't hate and that all the stuff that needs to be done is getting done? So this is kind of like, I'm going to, as you know, frequently compare everything to The Expanse, which is the best sci-fi. But in The Expanse, the way they talked about this, I thought was really interesting and important because there were still classes in all of this. And the way it worked was Earth was like theoretically a communist utopia at this point because everybody on Earth was entitled to like UBI and blah, 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 blah. But the truth is like the slums were still the slums and those people like theoretically had a chance at like achieving higher offices with this like sort of combination school lottery system but it was a lottery and even then people were still cheating the lottery if they had the right friends so it was like one of those things where i do not believe that any kind of bureaucratic structure like that's not going to ultimately reproduce classes so i would be willing to bet that even in the star trek universe we're only seeing like the people who get the good jobs right even the like poop deck scrubbers you know in like uh, all workplace comedies so to speak we are only we are not actually actually engaging with the worst parts of this job we are only engaging with the fun characters that we can yeah exactly and even in even the poop deck scrubbers and lower decks are still like presumably at least a little bit elite to end up on a starship at all well as we established it's a ship full of turbo nerds everyone's got three degrees in something you've never heard of exactly and so i assume that there are just lots and lots of people stuck on earth who are fucking miserable I mean, we assume that we we do get to see a few times, and we've talked about this a little bit before on the show, like how the economy outside of Starfleet works. Um, we see little bits of it. We see like, you know, restaurateurs, a couple places. We see mostly restaurateurs, really, and miners. We don't see very really... much. Yeah. Like we do know that, for example, there is um, a large, I guess we'll call it a public works project, um, you know, that we learn about in Next Generation when um, Picard is being potentially recruited to go work on something related to oceanography. I mean, th- th- there's other kinds of like large scale public projects that are not Starfleet that one could be employed by. And presumably there's related jobs to that. Like I'm sure that there's an equivalent of a parks and recreation department in uh, in the Federation. Well, I mean, the whole Genesis project is not a Starfleet project, right? Like Kirk's kid right. is like, no, we don't want the No, this is a separate endeavor some, for some, you know, under some auspice. But it is, yeah, there's clear delineations, at least to some people about this well and there's also a thriving industry of freighters uh we do see a lot of freighter captains that go travel between worlds and and you know conduct commerce between different societies that includes societies within the federation and also societies societies not in the federation so there's obviously a lot of independent freighter operators so the equivalent of the the trucking industry are the teamsters the basis of starfleet is that how we get the federation is through the teamsters maybe I mean, Cause you just said, we're not it. shipping the stuff anymore. Sorry. Well, and we definitely see that the freighter captains in Star Trek, you know, they, they got their own code of conduct. So maybe well, and Starfleet really isn't it's, as notably in several situations, not in a position to really fuck with them unless they do a specific set of acts. It's like, yeah, well, I can't make you not ship stuff that's legal through space. Yeah. Well, and also, who determines what's legal? Because well, what's legal right, in Bajoran space. space may not be legal in Cardassian space. 
So again, we've come back to the traditional position of this podcast, which is that Harry Mudd did nothing wrong. He was running an intergalactic taxi service and dating ring. Uh, that, that, <laughs> that. And then got pulled over because Kirk almost hit him with his car. But no, that's it. Yeah. Like, so there's a lot of ways to get to jobs, right? I think, I think the restaurant one is one that I am really interested in because it's one we see a lot because Harry Kim, non sequitur, he has dropped back on earth through space time anomaly, God alien character that appears as the guy that owns the Starbucks across the street from his fucking house. Right. Um, and everyone else. And so like it's a, it is one of the few times we get to enjoy San Francisco in present day for the Starfleets and not in Inside the uh, academy, basically, because uh, right. we go to Ben Cisco's restaurant, and like I guess we assume that because his daughter-in-law was murdered at Wolf Three Five Nine, they just were like, yeah, you want to make gumbo? Sure thing, old guy. And this one's a god alien that made himself a Starbucks. But like these are right, like these are jobs that you wouldn't do. It's not a fun job to run the coffee machine. I've, if you ever worked espresso, you burn yourself on it. It sucks. It is a hard. It is a lame job that like serving several million people a hot coffee. But there's a lot of people, even today, that, like, running a restaurant is hard work, but there's a lot of family restaurants that people open a restaurant because they want to share their family cuisine, their heritage with, yeah. you know, I mean, that's, I, I don't think that's a thing that's going to go away. My partner's partner has been working, like, you know, as an account manager for some software company for ages and ages and ages. And the only thing she wants in the entire universe is to open a bakery. She's amazing at it. She loves baking. If she could do anything in the world, it would just be baking. And every time people talk about, like, nobody would do these jobs. Like, of course people would do these jobs because for every single job, there's somebody who loves that work, like, really loves it. Man, are you telling me you want to work the sand? I don't want to work the fucking whatever midtown yeah. apartment equivalent Harry Kim has in the basement of that super building at that Starbucks. I feel like it is a weirdly romanticized approach to the way those function in some ways, like just because they need a setting in ways that is, I don't think, fully account for the way that that would play out, right? Because the yeah. restaurant industry is a hugely exploitive and like relies on underpaid labor. Like, so yeah, eventually, yeah, but if we don't sure. have like the privatization of those things, like, with would they be as bad, you know? Are worker cooperatives as bad as privately owned equivalents? Almost never. Surely. Oh, no, I, think, I mean... I think if, if you're running your own coffee shop and, you know, you have the choice for the number of hours that you want to be in, and you're not, like, your ability to survive financially is not dependent yeah. on working so many hours that your body is literally broken, that you can you can set more limited hours, you can give yourself a more reasonable schedule, you can offer a limited menu, you can... Whatever the hell you want to do, if that's your passion, then why not? And yeah. this actually reminds me of a discussion that happens on an, an episode of Voyager that I saw recently. I think the episode's called The Good Shepherd. It's where like Seven does like a, a shipwide efficiency evaluation and she discovers basically three deadbeats that are just failing at everything and they're they're like dragging down the whole ship's efficiency rating. And uh Janeway realizes like, oh I've got three little lost sheep, I gotta go save them. And so she takes them on an away mission. And before she does that, she and Chakotay have this whole conversation. She's like, Well, what are we gonna do with these three? And Chakotay says, Listen, if we were back in the Alpha Quadrant, there's always a few that don't make it past the first year on a starship you know if we were back in the alpha quadrant they would have just been reassigned hey you washed out kid. not everyone's supposed to star track right they would have either been washed out of starfleet or they would have been given a you know a desk job back at headquarters or they would have been found a different job in a different hey, you're industry in the barkley division right whatever but you know the fact that they're lost in the delta quadrant like they don't have that option so he said you know what we could do is we could just relieve them of duty and let them pursue their own interests and like that that idea is presented not in any way as a stigma just as a possible solution and I love that. I love that that's a viable option in the future that like, hey, you know, maybe if working isn't working for them, like maybe we just let them be and let them decide and do their own thing. My hot anarchist take here is the parts that you hate of your job are almost entirely because of the hierarchy within your job. Yep. It's because the customers are allowed to be shitty to you and you're not allowed to leave. It's because your boss is allowed to be shitty to you and you're not allowed to leave. You know, like all of the parts of these jobs that are terrible really boil down to the hierarchy itself and the pressure itself that denies you the right to exit. Right. So the job I have right now, I started full time like six weeks ago or something. I spend most of my morning watering trees and, you know, I work at a plant nursery. And frankly, that's what I'd be doing most mornings if I didn't have to work. 
you know, it's it's my thing. And, you know, frankly, the only thing I don't like about my job is, is the stuff that comes from having a boss and from having to work within a hierarchy of people that aren't, like, there with it every day, you know? I had a situation just the other day that, like, made my Friday really important that it was Friday because one manager told me to do one thing, another guy told me to do another thing, a second manager was called in to contradict the orders of the first manager. By the end of the day, everybody was pretty upset. So, like, that was all that was, you know? And, frankly, the entire issue came down to how much we would water and how quickly. And, um, you know... When you're it watering. turns out you, the person standing there watering the fucking plants, may have some insight into this. Well, and, and, no way. And, you know, and, and here's the other thing is that when you're watering, you look busy, right? You need to look busy because you're not the boss. Oh, what did Bill Hicks say? You pretend I'm working. Yeah, several sections of the nursery have now been overwatered and the plants are stressed out. And it's like, huh, man, if we just didn't feel like we had to look busy. Right. The plants are stressed out. The workers are stressed out. The whole situation is so unnecessary. And it's because of people like codifying these hierarchies that don't need to exist. That's why I'm so anti-bureaucracy. It's because I think bureaucracy creates hierarchy. I organized and reorganized the shrub section three times in the past two weeks. Because, you know, the boss didn't like it. He looked at it for five minutes and decided that all of that work was just unimportant and needed to be redone. You know, as an employer, sometimes you just got to accept that there's going to be some of the time that you're paying someone to do nothing. And Mm -hmm. that's fine. Because you're not doing anything fucking either. Yeah. Well, at this job, you know what? You're you're paying me on the off chance somebody comes in and buys $2,000 worth of trees because that happens a yeah. lot, yeah. you know? <laughs> well, that's like when bosses do the thing where, like, you have to be on call all the time for, like, hourly labor and shit like that. It's like, no, fuck you. You get the time you pay me for. You don't get to decide right. that I'm on call at all times. Like, you get the time. When you're paying me, it's not for the work I'm doing. It's for devoting that many hours of my fucking life to your project. And I will actually say you are able to get a rate. I can give you the rate for on call all the time. Yeah. You just won't like it. Right. Like it is. Yeah. How many of you waited tables? Yeah. Me. You familiar, familiar with the sub, the, with the topic of, uh, of, or you got sorry, time to lean. Two. You got time to fucking kill yourself. Yeah. God damn. Yeah. Exactly. All side work thing. Like, it's like, oh, I can see that you're like briefly resting and, you know, not looking like you're running around like, uh, like you're going to lose your mind. Let me find some work for you to do. <laughs> so one time I had this really shitty job at this pizza place and the manager was a cokehead as, you know, restaurant managers almost always are. And I remember it was like we had this new employee who asked me to help her like close out her register, which I knew how to do because I'd been running the register for ages. And I was like, yeah, you just do it this way and just showed her how to do it. Right. And the cokehead manager came running out and like yelled at me for teaching her how to do this thing. It was like, you need to go sweep the floors. And I'm like, okay. And so I go sweep the floors. And then like literally like the next day, like the floors had just been swept. There was nothing to do. And I was just standing there and he came out and yelled at me for like just standing there. And I'm like, well, when I tried to take initiative, you yelled at me. Like just, and I remember I was like 16 years old. So I wasn't used to the world being unfair yet. And he fired me on the spot, like on the spot was just like, wow, go home. And I'm just like, what the fuck? And they called me like two weeks later begging me to come back. And I was like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> Jeez. A damn right you're good. Fuck that. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, that's the thing. Is it's such a common thing, right? Like you have these petty tyrants who have no power anywhere else in their lives. So they're just using it to abuse the people they do have power over because it makes them feel better about how helpless they are. And because they're on a lot of coke. Common thread among business executives. They're on uppers and too many of them. And I have to say, like, you know, working this job, like, the only problems I have are the base pay and the situations that arise from having to look busy for somebody. You know, everything else about it is, like, literally my dream job. You know, my manager knows yeah. a lot about trees. My coworkers know a lot about trees. I'm learning the exact kind of agricultural information I've always wanted to get some firsthand experience with. You know, if they just paid me like I weigh, it would be all good. <laughs> Wait, but they you said that they paid you a, a svelte and very attractive amount. <laughs> no, no, that's 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 
Oh, I'm bad at that. I'm I'm trying. My social skills are down, which is really weird for me because I cruise on charisma. It's, you'll it's notice it's not 153 dollars an hour. We'll put it that way. <laughs> um, no, I'm I am having a lot of trouble with this with the pandemic, just because I cruise on fun charisma and being in person, oh, and reading interpersonal cues and being able to actually understand what is happening in a room. Uh, and that's all been robbed of us, which is fine because I didn't want to go to buildings anyway. But it's extremely challenging to convince people that you're a good when you are simply a resume and I mean ultimately a lot of the soft skills that I have and just I'm not I don't have a shitload of weird accomplishments like member of the weird club that runs the HOA or what like shit like that and various like civic groups that I don't know that I need to be a part of either. Well, and to be clear, people are not hiring even when they have a now, are often not hiring even when they have a now hiring sign up. Like, yep. Oh, no, I've seen the job come back up after somebody told me that we were going with different candidates and then the job yep. rolls back around. You're like, there was a job that I interviewed for, like, let me think it was like two years ago. Yeah, it was, it was a little, I think it was actually a little over two years ago. And this is a job that I was insanely qualified for, like just like over the top qualified for. And it was like a really interesting position. It was kind of like building on a lot of experience that I had and kind of taking it to the next level. It was something that sounded like a really interesting challenge that I was, and it was in a different country. And then like, they were so excited to talk to me. And then they told me what the pay was. And I came back and I was like, yeah, that is not going to work. That is, first of all, a lot less than I'm being paid currently. <laughs> and second, you're talking about a job in a country that is a lot more expensive than where I currently live. Corey, we thought you cared about the mission. Yeah, where, where the cost of living is X amount higher. And so I came back with a counteroffer and I was like, yeah, I'll gladly do it if you can at least match the salary that I'm currently getting with these conditions. And there's, oh, it's just, that's not possible. We're not going to be able to do that. They have continued to repost that job for the last three years. They still haven't filled it. And I could have been working there this whole time. It turns out it doesn't matter to do it. It, it, no yeah. one needs, it doesn't yeah. need to be done, I guess. I don't know. Like Yeah, exactly. But, you know, like that, that kind of thing happens all the time, you know, and like Paul, you and I have both kind of commiserated about our like job searching prospects. I'm sorry, you're overqualified for this job you intentionally applied for and yeah. said you would accept the salary range presented in exchange for doing. Like, what the fuck do you want from me? I'm not gonna, like, I might quit in a year or two. That depends on how much it sucks there. That's kind of on <laughs> you. But I said I would do the job for the amount right. you said. And we all agree I can do the job, right? Oh no, I'm too good for the job. Great. But, you know, like Star Trek seems to kind of function on this philosophy that, well, first of all, everybody's baseline needs are met. And, and second, if you it's essentially the equivalent of what, what is the modern proposal of a federal jobs guarantee, which is if you want a job, a job will be available for you, a job that is tailored to your skill set. That's the concept of a federal jobs guarantee is like, you know, whatever it is that you're good at, we will find a way to pay you to do that thing that you you enjoy doing. And at the very least, your basic needs will be met. And okay. I. You want to give me a spooky old hotel in a fucking national park? I am there. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, seriously, there, there's there's a way, you know, as opposed to right now where capitalism invents meaningless jobs. I don't even understand why. I mean, this is kind of the thing that I I feel like is what we were just get hammering on, which is that it's not actually about your capacity to do the job or how good you'd be at it, whether you'd enjoy it, how much we'd enjoy working with you here. It is whether you can jump through a certain set of HR and ultimately people ops hoops, which is having an automated pre-screen for resumes where it's like, oh, it's scanning for certain words. Like, right. well, I don't know what you call this job, but if some asshole calls the phone and won't stop, and there's a piece will not stop yelling at your people, I can make him stop. I don't know what the name for that is either, but it's not any of the things I've called it on resume. I mean, I have a number of other skills and important roles, right. but like there's a bunch of jobs that I've just done. They're like, hey, I don't know. I clean up the goddamn fires that ever are inevitably set by your product. Yeah. Like, well, our product yeah. doesn't catch fire. It's on fire yeah, okay, right now. <laughs> Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I actually have a similar kind of skill set, and, and you know, I, I think that's how I've kind of fell into training for a long time. Is um, it just seems to. Well, be you like know what the problems are, so you know how to tell people to stop doing right. those things ahead of time. Like right, cutting right, off right. preemptively, just never. If you're answering customer service, I never ask how they're doing. Do you know yeah. why that is? Because they've called customer service for literally any reason, and there's yeah. no good thing that's going to come of that answer. Nothing will like. It's like 
oh, I'm good, except you've overbilled my account or I'm fine. <laughs> I just need my password reset or whatever. But no, there's no like, oh, you know what I'm excited to do? Call my fucking loan servicer or the people that run the other side of my phone or my video, get whatever, right? Yeah, I was but, having such a good day. I just had to make it better by calling customer service. I thought, right. let me get on hold and push one and then tell you my fucking social. What? Like, no, <laughs> nobody wants to be doing this. So like, how can I help you? Was my was always my opener, not like, oh, how are you? I'm doing well. What can I do for you today? Not how are you? Fucking don't give people an opening like that to start screaming at you. Anyway, yeah. How do we get people that know how to do a thing to a job? Like, okay, so Julian Bashir wanted to go do frontier medicine. This is good. Ultimately, like Doctors Without Borders, we just give those people fucking salaries and send them out to the world with gauze or whatever. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, the, the ironic thing is, is that I think of everything in the Star Trek universe, I think that this aspect, this idea of this approach to employment, we're closer to being able to achieve that than I think anything else. Certainly, I think technologically, but I think even sociologically, because the only barrier right now to the idea of a jobs guarantee is the question of like, how do these jobs that will get created, how do they benefit the capitalist class? Well, the easy sell there is more people who are employed can afford to buy more things. Sorry, I found a way to disconnect my wealth from the economy at all. And I just trade NFTs back and forth in a money laundering scheme now. Right. Um, So I don't actually need the rest of the economy to function anymore. All I have to do is make graphics cards, I guess. Except that apparently, I mean, presumably you do still have to have a place to live. So you're going to have to find a way to pay rent. So you're going to have to be able to convert that into some kind of... And you're completely uncreative. So you're going to have to buy your food at Burger King. (laughs) Right. Well, after the franchise wars. But my point is that I think like that's a softer sell in the current political and social climate that we have of being able to convince enough people that there is benefit to being able to guarantee a job to anybody who wants them. And for those who are not able to work or, you know, we're, we're not yet to the point where most people are ready to accept the idea of somebody not wanting to work. But I think there's, you know, we're, we're a couple of steps away from that. But just the idea of like people who are not able to work, like people who have disabilities. In our hearts, we're all there. Just kill well, yes. the boss in your head. trying to tell you to go to work well and and let me tell you another part of my job that's intensely fulfilling and that i would be doing without being paid if i didn't have to work is somebody that's older comes to the plant nursery they need to pick out some plants they basically need someone to walk beside them push their cart for them and lift these plants into the especially if we just watered you know and why does everybody feel like that's a chore i'm like privileged to do this you know and like it's to the point where every old lady that comes in my manager just calls me because he doesn't want to deal with it deal with fucking what because you're (laughs) nice to them and listen to what they say what are you dealing with it's fun yeah ask the lady some questions tell her that that's a bad plant for fucking shade i don't know maybe she knows a bunch about roses you're gonna learn something about they'll tell you they'll tell you you just gotta listen Mm -hmm. you know i mean the sweet neighbor dog The sweet gardener job played by the old guy in a TNG that continues mm-hmm. to work at, he was like some crazy decorated admiral. He's like, oh, and I also just hang out at the academy, trim in the bushes, because it's fun. Yeah. I mean, like, if my partner could do anything in the world, he would garden and make art. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's like most people. Most people would rather just produce something that they could, like, tangibly appreciate. You know, I, I don't think most people really strive for fame and notoriety as such. They strive for independence and they want power for themselves so that they can enact the things they want to do. It's like LeBron James, like, getting super famous and using the money he made to build schools, you know? Yeah. Like, people want money, which really means they want autonomy. We need enough money to have our own future because there isn't one. Exactly. Yeah. That's what exactly what I'm yeah. saying. Like it's like an amount it's like a high amount of money. It's not just like a reasonable job that will last forever and then there'll be some dignified end for your when you're like, I can't do the job anymore, my hands hurt. And they're like, cool, right, go exactly. sit down and look at the stuff. That isn't a thing unless you have money and like that yeah. kind of fuck off money is yeah. only really achievable through fame it seems like my husband's my husband's communist utopia is where we get to have like either an island to ourselves or a town to ourselves not not just the two of us but like you know that we can set the parameters for everything and basically just run it as like a open rescue where we just have like vets and everybody gets Aww. to have a free place to live and everybody can get free vet care for their animals and everybody's paid a good wage and like all we do is just hang out with our animals and take care of our animals. That's yeah. his utopia. Oh, Bakunin would be loving what you're saying right now. Really loving it. 
Exactly. For every single thing that somebody wants to do with their lives, you know, they're not alone. Somebody else yeah. wants to do it too, you know? Mm-hmm. And and I think that one of the greatest, I guess, griefs of capitalism is the destruction of that collective impulse to build new things or to build, like, cool things, you know? Even Carnegie knew to put up a fucking big-ass library and some public baths. Exactly, exactly. Like we want to we want to be productive when we have time. We want to make stuff. It's built into our DNA. We just don't want to end up dying sick and cold. I think All that's right. appropriate. We're having built it too, right? Like, oh, the energy you could you could have not died sick and cold. But you did this thing. Well, now, why am I doing... I mean, that is a reasonable calculus. We are all presented with the choice of... And, well, many of us are presented with the choice of... And to the extent it's even a choice. The starving artist, so to speak, right? Like, oh, yeah, no, that makes the art more valid. No, most artists start wealthier than they could be... Because they can have time to learn how to buy a bunch of paint. Learn the names of all the fucking colors. Well, and practice, right? And practice, 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 practice. Which takes so much time. Well, how much did the dole have to do with the British invasion? How much does, like, socialism and, you know, or what they call socialism in Northern Europe have to do with their kind of, like, music invasion in the 90s? You know, if you let people do art, they do better art. Yeah. Well, and everybody's better for it, right? Like, how many scientific advancements came out of sci-fi? Yeah. And that was some dude imagining a better world and writing it down. Okay, so listeners will be like, wow, there was a weird break in the audio, and then something else started happening, and then how are they going to segue back into anything even close to what was happening not two minutes ago? I've got you, because there is a weird difference between people you do know and people you don't know, and this difference is what we would call, even in a pure meritocracy, nepotism, and it's fine, (laughs) sort of. (laughs) (laughs) But it's not like unless it compromises operational efficiency and fairness and opportunity and like thwarts other people's lives. But working with people you like, that's good. Those are the kind of people who will hijack a starship to go save one of the other ones that you know. And honestly, that's a good thing more often than a bad thing. Like the problem with in-group association only happens when being shoved into the out-group means you struggle to survive materially. And that's a big concept within like anarchist theory is this idea of free association that like you're not going to get along with everybody. So everybody should be allowed to group according to like what works for them, you know, and so many people have like directly oppositional needs, like not even in terms of like ability or accommodations or whatever, but just like socially, right? Like introverts and extroverts don't necessarily need to work in the same office building all the time, you know, or in the same like cubicle, right? <laughs> oh, wait, here's one. Most of the time, people don't need to be anywhere unless they yeah, specifically yeah. do a thing right there or like, you know, there's factory lines. There's various settings where this is required, but most office jobs, you're just sending emails anyway and you're just going to bother yeah. me. Don't bother And me. like neurotypical people and neurodivergent people frequently see the world in intensely different ways, but within group understand each other very well. Right. And so like, I think actually the problem is not nepotism as such or well, the problem of nepotism isn't association as such. It's when the consequence of not associating with one group means death. So like people wouldn't feel as bad about firing, you know, I don't know, Uncle Eustace, the war hero who's been working at the company for 70 years, if they were certain that he would be fine, that he would be safe and cared for. You know what I mean? Social (laughs) obligation to that person was already paid and some other way. Exactly. Exactly. And so like, you know, or you wouldn't have somebody hiring their dipshit son who doesn't know anything about anything if they didn't have to figure out how to justify paying for the son. My dad owns a warp nacelle dealership. Thank you. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, I know. I don't have Starbro on deck enough for that. I kind of thrashed my voice this weekend. Is there any example in Star Trek of bad nepotism? I mean, we have. Oh, yeah. Okay, give me some examples. Tom Paris killed a bunch of people and then went to labor camp, changed his identity. Okay. That is a different character. I I know, I know. I'm having I will die on this hill. They did an identity swap. It's the same guy. You will never convince me it's not the same guy. We got to review the sequence of that whole thing. 
killed a bunch of people, went to prison, escaped. One guy. Then One. changed his identity, then got in trouble again, went back to prison, was released because of intelligence shit. Like, that's some shady bullshit yeah, right there. Yeah, his dad's an admiral. So with whether the dad admiral was the dad admiral in the original, like, whether that's a continuity or whether it is slid in there on some kind of double blackmail kind of thing, where you're like, yeah, it's me, your son. I mean, he's essentially nerd Rambo. The original character was not the son of an admiral. That's a girl. I get the I get the gag. I get the joke. Okay, so well, we could go elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. He stole the identity of this dead admiral's son. Maybe he even killed this guy. Who knows? But he convinced the admiral he was this guy's son. I mean, this is some Let's take it more shit. seriously than that, though. We're picking at the seams. Let's try let's again. Let's go, silly. Let's take, for example, Next Generation, Wesley Crusher. Like, there was open opposition to Wesley Crusher. Of course, he was a kid. But just the idea of him even being present on the bridge or among, like, the, yeah. the big decisions that were being made. Massive security violation. Until he actually did some shit and proved, like, oh, actually, I got a lot to offer here. And so he got those responsibilities on the basis of his contribution to the effort, not because he was related to the doctor. Unaccompanied minor who was not sworn officer Starfleet sitting on the security briefing. Great. You're all already been spaced. Thanks for playing. This has been Section 31. Cleaning up your messes ever since <laughs> fucking Kirk. No, but okay. I'm No, I think there's something to that. But how does he get there? He gets there because, well, Picard killed his dad and wants to fuck his mom. Okay. But I, I mean, just... like, that's a weird scenario that's not optimal. Like, I think if he had been on the ship for any other reason and he was in a position to be able to, like, let's say he was some other nameless character's kid and had nothing to do with any Picard's past, but he happened to be, like, there to be able to, to make his important scientific contribution at the moment that he did... Or he runs into them at 10 forward or something and they have, you can write that scene, right? Like but, you can create that scenario. would he be there? I don't know. Let's, ha- let's ask know. that question. Isn't that like the subtle poison of nepotism? Okay, Is, maybe so. Would he have been there if he wasn't related to the captain's friend? Like, would he have even, because like, where? why is he walking onto the bridge? Because he he's looking for his mom, right? In the moment that that happened, he was actually in engineering, um, which is again another. That's another restricted area. So you know, point taken. Like maybe that's maybe that's the nepotism part of it. Yeah, but he has the audacity of, do you know who my mom is? But I don't think I don't think it can be denied that he certainly earned his place in terms of like his contributions. Not at all. Not at all. Like he he became useful and may, remained useful. You know. But it's well. It's, but the uh, argument against nepotism has never been that the person who was there's contributions were not valuable. It's that anyone could have made those contributions in that moment, but were not there for want of an arbitrary social connection that is not necessarily determinative of a in dessert is the wrong is not even relevant merit or like well why is everyone else fucking there. Well, they all took a bunch of tests and had to back zip their uniforms and this kid just throws on a space sweater i would actually say though like that is a function of the meritocracy itself right like that's the problem of making people take a shitload of tests before they can get somewhere and putting all those institutional barriers in place is that it creates unfair barriers for people who don't have a nepotistic edge and it's always done that even when they were doing it in fucking ancient china like it was happening there and then too it's always been fundamentally unfair and encouraging of nepotism to create those kinds of you know test-based meritocratic barriers Barriers to entry in a job. I feel like for running a starship, I do want you to know how the starship works. And that is sort of the, there is a question of merit in that question of how much do you know about warp drives? I'm going to push back on this point because the point you were just making, Paul, about how like if anybody else had been in the same situation, they could, I think in the case of Wesley Crusher specifically, because of the way his character was was constructed, that is he not the case. He does become warp messiah. That's true. He's that got is, a, he's he, he had odd. skills and abilities that were above the average. And this, the way his character was written, and you can dispute like whether or not that was fair. No, 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 no. I, I'm, I, is... I'll let this happen. I mean, he's myth yeah. of the genius child. I hear you. Like, I hear, I see the character is written in that way where it is not necessarily anyone could make that contribution, but thus then right. the slow poison. Like, oh, well, this one we let in was the warp drive messiah. Surely next time your boss's kid is yelling at you at work, you'll think twice about making them not <laughs> right. bother you. Well, and my point here is is that it's not about whether or not anyone could do it. It's that we'll never know if someone else could do it because it's always going to be the boss's crush's kid. That's fair. 100%. But okay, so besides Wesley Crusher, because that's that is the like, most obvious one, what are some other examples of nepotism in Trek? 
Jake Sisko just becomes a very prominent journalist simply because he knows his dad. Like, his dad yells at him about it. He's like, dude, you have to stop writing about my fucking stuff I talk about at home in the fucking paper. Where a war is on, you fucking moron. <laughs> and, like, he gets this correct, and they sort of deal with it, but that level of unprecedented access to a lead general in a war is not ever going to be afforded to a regular journalist in any circumstance, for the mo- unless you're fucking Wesley Clark. But, you know, that was just a couple of years ago. Don't yeah, worry just about to, it. Just imagine if China was in a war, and, and, like, the lead journalist in the war was related to the lead general. How would the American press comment on that? That would not be characterized in, like, a fair way yeah like that that's 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 out there you know and so i think that's one yeah because jake does break with that he that even was gonna set him up with a sweet career like get you in a starfleet yeah you're gonna comment all the recommendations you want but there again like it was predicated on the belief that he had a lot of skill as a writer and he did like earn his way into that writing academy no, legit. He is not a bad writer. I think his his Starfleet career is what would have been a, an entirely nepotistic adventure. But again, his mm-hmm. access to it and sort of his catapulting. I mean, the fame we see him having as a writer is almost certainly predicated on his reporting during the Dominion War, which, again, it's just a, that nepotism strikes in, in these insidious and sort of timeline actually, bendy ways. I actually feel like Star Trek has a more through line of children deviating from the career path of their parents. Think about Alexander. Yeah. But those are because those are systems that are easily, those easy channels is why that is so outside of the norm, I feel like, right? Like, oh, that these people are resisting this process speaks to it being kind of forced upon them. But I mean, again, this is a question of whether this is something you can escape entirely, right? Because the Klingons give it to you, right? Your whole bloodline is your problem. Sons of Moog, that sucks. Like, there's worse versions of nepotism out there in play in this universe, you know? Like, oh, we decided your 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 dad made a bad business decision. So now none of your progeny, your guys are all working, sweeping the floor from, for the rest of time. You know, maybe I'm just a crotchety contrarian or something, but I feel like this kind of shit's inevitable. I feel like it's baked right into the way we interact with each other socially. I don't think we can prevent these kinds of things from happening because they're biologically adaptive. You know, we talk about it a lot in like cognitive psychology about heuristics, right? And heuristics are basically cognitive shortcuts that our brain takes to save energy because energy on the brain is expensive. In fact, like our most expensive organ is the brain. So you know, we we cut corners there biologically because it's, you know, it helps us survive or whatever. And then sometimes those things break in ways that are not helpful, right? And so like you could think of nepotism as a case where those sort of otherwise biologically useful tendencies are breaking down, right? And, you know, associating people with their group, right? That's that's another example and sort of bigotry that comes from that, whether it's because of, you know, their race, their religion, their sexual identity, their gender identity, or who their dad is, right? Those are examples of these otherwise adaptive functions breaking. But it's also like really useful when you see somebody who's like a Bears fan or whatever and go like, yeah, I like the Bears too. And now you have something to bond over with a complete stranger, right? Or like when somebody else has like the same favorite band as you or something, like those instant connections that you form with somebody when you have like even one thing to sort of identify with them over, those are good. Those are fundamentally good. So I don't know. I, I think that not only are those sorts of interactions impossible to avoid, but they come from like social systems that are more good than bad. Does that make sense? No, no. I mean, I think the question that I think is always, or that we're trying to get at, and well, I hope we're getting at, is that it is not a problem that you want to work with people you like. It is a problem if that harms the people you don't like and or limits your scope of your uh, project's ability to see itself, right? Because there is the the ultimate nepotism. One of the bigger and I think worst nepotism issues is myopia, or not necessarily worse, but one of the more prominent ones we're seeing a lot right now is like the yes man effect, where like, oh, yeah, like all these people are doing con, like everyone's NFTs and crypto. We're not going to talk about them a lot because they're fucking stupid. But everyone's buying in because it's just a ridiculous financial vehicle. And those are fun. And those people know how they work. And like, okay, great. Because you've acknowledged your entire thing is already a grift. You can't just say, it's a grift. We're just making some money. Because the whole point is the front. It is saying it is worth something. It is saying that a token representing a shitty image is something anyone will ever exchange any amount of money for. That is not doing some kind of sham money laundering or flip transaction to inflate the price of i mean fine art has always been about money laundering like they just made it more efficient 
Well, sure. But at least with fine art, you get a thing. Like with a fine art, I could buy the painting and have to carry that across national boundaries or at least have an auction house sign a name. I mean, yeah, but like the difference between a painting and toilet paper is the amount of like aesthetic interest somebody has in it. Right. And I think the people who are into like weird NFT games, you know, like there's a group of NFTers who are on their third round, third round of being scammed for a monkey-based trading yeah. card game. And it's their third time getting scammed with literally the same scam. And they're like, we're all in, buddy. And it's like, what are they getting out of that if not aesthetics, right? And I, I, I think that, honestly, though, there's no reason their aesthetic is less valid than mine, you know? like, Well, it's not even that it's an aesthetic, though. It is ultimately because it is like a receipt. But that's another under, like, a question of how far below an actual transaction does the securitization go before it becomes yeah. stupid. And it I might mean, be yeah. layer one. I really think that the NFT thing is like a Ferengi psyop. I think that we've already been infiltrated. (laughs) We've already been infiltrated by Quark traveling back in time, and he's like figured out how to like make a bunch of money by getting us to like buy imaginary shit. That is the only explanation for this that has ever made sense. I think Quark would find something better to do with free energy. Wait, y'all, is Elon Musk a Ferengi? No, because a Ferengi would be better at this. God, do not do that to the Ferengi. Uh, hey, uh, anyone who's who's listening, there are there is a Tesla on fire in the parking lot. Go check that out. <laughs> uh, do do not do not disparage the good reputation of the Ferengi that way. I like to uh, go to tech offices and say, "Hey, somebody's Tesla is burning," and then just watch every single person immediately panic. <laughs> Oh wait, I don't pay attention to the news really. Has has anyone done murder and claimed the self-driving car did it yet? That's we're not doing Tesla Trek. That's we might talk about it someday, but it's folds because it's all of the problems we talk about folded into one cute thing, but it's just such a bad thing. The only thing I'm interested in 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 discussing when it comes to Elon Musk and and anything related to outer space in Star Trek is if we can strap him to a rocket and fire him into the sun. That's it. That's the extent of my interest. And you've you've securitized my question, which is he dead yet? Then whatever. (laughs) Honestly, I think a fun game would be to play. What if Elon Musk ran Starfleet? (laughs) What would that be like? Can you imagine? Okay, well, the posting thing is in. Posting culture, as we have said, is not really a part of Star Trek. It is part of the that future. That is all yeah. there is. You got to pay to be able to see your console for one of projected advertisements. Every space is filled with projectors, just like the vo- entire Voyager. Only problem is in regular life, they are constantly, like in Blade Runner, holograms of people that can punch you trying to spray you with stuff and sell you mortgage derivatives or double reverse spaceship securities or maybe just your own little patch of dirt somewhere on the new world that you can go farm and call your own caution planet is extremely asbestos okay okay hear me out i don't think this dude's gonna be successful at all in a starfleet situation i don't think so either well for one daddy's emerald money is meaningless in starfleet yeah yeah you're dealing with a dude that probably washed out of starfleet and you know is dealing with delusions of grandeur somewhere in kind of like a semi-assisted living kind of situation can you just imagine a future where nobody gives a shit about elon musk because his money is meaningless and we all have our basic needs met so there's no reason for anybody to be like idolizing him and we all have no, like, Elon Musk without money is just like any given sophomore in a philosophy program. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like no one actually finds Elon Musk impressive as a person. They find like his PR image impressive because they're credulous. Any given philosophy major sounds like a really cool band. Actually, I take it back. Elon Musk is any given Redditor. That's who he is without money. He's just yeah. a Redditor. Or a 4chaner. Yeah. I don't like any of this talk. This is this is bad. This whole thing is gross. I don't care for it. So in the episode, The Good Shepherd, we are trying to steer back to like how we pick jobs and how we get to people to where they are so they're doing something productive and have purpose and feel happy about it and it doesn't oppressive to them. In Good Shepherd, Janeway takes them on a away mission and they almost all get goddamn killed. 
Yep. Uh, and I think that this speaks to a general sort of principle of how solidarity works and the sort of idea of getting your shit together in a moment of crisis, both for yourself and for your colleagues and finding that confidence and sort of interest and the thing that you that you like, that you can focus it in those moments. And that's super important. And there are situations where I think that that happens and it is sort of talked about a lot. I found a lot of who I was early on in kitchens. It fucking rules in there. It's a bunch of people fucking hammering on stuff and cutting things and it's hot and we make dinner and you got to wash the fucking dishes and you yell at people in the window and you stab the tickets and you, I mean and they started there is a crew effect that comes into play that I just and falling into a role in a crew of that kind is what helped me figure out what was nice about being productive and understanding what a kind of job I would enjoy is so that being said no you don't get to pick your own thing we're staffing a restaurant with goddamn Starfleets and you can't have Neelix or Quark because they manage a front and back of house respectively. Guinan, of course, runs the nightclub downstairs. You can't have any of the ones that traditionally work food service. Who else is working though? Well, obviously, Cisco has to be one of the cooks. Yeah, obviously, Cisco. You got Cisco in the. He's just bearding oysters though, which I love. Or peeling potatoes. He's not, yeah, he's not good at this. Oh, you don't think he's managing? I feel like he's no, the I, perfect line for a manager. No, I think he would cook. I think he would cook. I kind of like him washing and cooking. Yeah, he cooks all the time in this quarter. He's a commander with experience running a restaurant. Who would be in charge of him? Maybe he doesn't want to be. A, I mean, there's plenty of other people that have command experience, but not not many of them can well, cook as well as he does. All right, hear me out. In the communist utopian future, the manager works too. Legit, and maybe the manager hangs out at back, uh, out back, uh, beard in the oysters, or yeah. doing the, you know, beard in the clams, so. or doing what? Doing God, who that, else have we even seen? We saw Riker cook some really dry ass eggs that one time, so I guess he would be a line cook. Yeah, <laughs> I would say front of house manager Nog. Um, you know what? I'm watching yeah, no, Nog, but I don't think that's a good choice. I think he'd be a great front of house manager. I mean, we saw it when he was hanging out in the holodeck with. Um, no, that's fair. He does a little Vic Fontaine's time. He does. He's he's yeah. He's real big with the with the client yeah, does relations. Does the host stuff. You know, listens to all the complaints. I'm gonna put Riker on bar. Sorry, team. Riker's on bar or cocktail service. That is a pretty pretty man, and he's yeah, very charming. Right. Got a lot. Of I, quick fuck. I dated a bartender named Will who looks like Riker too. This is too close to home for me. So Seven and Tuvok both got turns displaying their cooking prowess in Voyager in different episodes. So either of them could also be helping with food prep. Data is actually a really excellent bartender. You need two people in charge back yeah. there because you got to schedule them opposites. Well, it sounds like you've got day shift all locked up because those weirdos, <laughs> those squares are not going to like night shift nearly. It's not, it's too rambunctious. It's too slapdash for them. I think the chaos of, of night in a bar, at least in that terms of way, the, the way that that shift goes. Oh, if they're setting it up, they're, they're doing the prep, they're getting everything working, they're working lunch, they're making sure everything is like the orders are coming in, everything's checked, stocked, rotated. That's going great. And the chaos of night hits. There's no person I want less behind the wine than Worf. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Worf would be the bouncer. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Worf is downstairs working for Guinan. Yeah, there you go. This yeah. is like the Claremont, right? They got the hotel up top. They got the strip club in the basement. <laughs> I cannot yeah, think of anybody yeah. who is more likely to be specifically a strip club bouncer than Worf. Because you know he's not going to be disrespectful to the women. He is going to be respectful of the dancers, and he will kick the ass of anybody who isn't true very cool i like it i like it who are we're, my line crew i got tom paris i feel like is my scuzzy fry cook i feel like he's more of a server he's got server vibes. Ooh, yeah he's definitely a server yeah, for sure yeah. yeah he has like a life as like he has an ethical life in an alternate universe as a gay server <laughs> And him and Harry Kim are married. They always work together. They always work doubles together for three days a week. And then they do the rest of the week doing other. Yeah, they spend the rest of the time together like that. I'm here for this. There's actually an episode of Voyager where he works as a server. It's the, the workforce where they all get like their, they get their memories wiped and they get like, you know, conscripted oh, right. into service on a on a planet. And he gets himself fired in like the first hour of the, working at the power plant and has to go beg for a job as a server. Wow, I am kind of upset that we did not talk about that plan, that version of how to do, allocate that, which is erase my memory and just make me do something. I don't yeah, know. because those people were happy as fuck, man. They loved their jobs. Like Janeway was like, "Man, this is great. I have I'm a good fine. job. I got a place to live. I got a dude. Everything is fantastic." She had no idea that she was supposed to be fucking the captain of a starship. I don't remember how many college I went to. It's fine. I don't care. I'm having a good time. Nobody yells at me about bills. This is fine. <laughs> 
This is the ideal level of consciousness, right? I talk about this every time I mention my stupid cat. You're going to say cat, but... No, it, even by cat standards, this this beautiful lady is a fucking brick. Hell yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to propose something that might be a little controversial, but I think to protect the wait staff, you need Bolana Torres in charge of the wait staff. Yeah, because she needs to deal with the can I speak to the manager people and I'm she the will manager. ruin them. Yeah, no one will ever harass any waitress in this restaurant, right? That's so fucking true. You know who would also be great behind bar? Dax. Like, Jadzia Dax, specifically. Yeah, Jadzia would be fantastic at the bar. And you know that, like, she knows cocktail recipes from every corner of the universe, too. It sounds like we're doing one of those places with a super limited menu. Like, it's only whatever Tom Paris can throw in the fryer plus drinks. All right. Don't forget, you do have Neelix and Quark who are managing front and back of house. Like, they have experience, so they are the ones that would do that. But They do a mean fucking po'boy. Yeah. That's what I'm hearing is it's a bar with an incredible po'boy. Any starch from any planet grows in the ground, floats in the air. We don't give a fuck. We'll slice it up and fry it. Throw a salt you never heard of on it. Yeah, it's like artisanal deep fried food. Where does uh, Miles O'Brien fit into this? Because I feel like Miles needs to have a job in this in this outfit. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that line cook that's just like never in a hurry and always yeah. on yep. time. The shit yeah. is just exactly. rolling. Yeah. You're like, hey, I need that. And it's on the plate and he's handing it to you. And you're like, that's yep. why you can't have Worf in the kitchen because O'Brien is like sort of rolling the saute pan. No, no, no. He's the dishwasher that, oh, that just yeah. washes all the dishes, takes out a delivery, then walks in and makes a ticket. I was about to say that. <laughs> Stoned as fuck, just washing dishes in the back, thinking about like trains or something. Taken to go orders. Yeah, but then like the cook goes out for a cigarette, a ticket comes in and he just makes it. Yeah, I've been here 20 years. It's not a problem. Like I know all the stuff. I just don't want to do this. Do the, I don't want to there. Literally just vibing. What's Keiko doing? Hostess? Keiko is asking to speak to the manager. Sorry. Um, No, that may not be true. I do kind of feel like I, I want Kira as hostess though. I don't know. She's on the front line. I think Kira would be co manager with Bolana. Yeah, yeah, they're, you know, head of wait staff. Oh, Karen, okay, those are your lead servers, and they, yeah. yeah you uh, you go on opposite days, and they kind of keep track of everybody and keep everybody in line, and that makes perfect sense. I think Keiko would make a great hostess, honestly. We don't have a back of house manager yeah, yet. Right. House manager's going to be, like, putting the orders in. No, that's Neelix. He's, oh, no, no, that's, Neelix is chef, Quirk is, is head of the front. Like, yeah, you need somebody who's actually doing all of that shit that yeah. Neelix is proposing for wild specials, putting in the orders for Maybe that's what Cisco does. Eat with your hands. So in perfect alignment with our artisanal fried food gastropub vibe, this place is also farm to table, actually, and Keiko is running the farm. There you go. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Work that in. <laughs> Honestly, I would go to this restaurant. It sounds like it would be great. <laughs> it sounds like it would be awesome. <laughs> well, if we're going to have a nightclub with Guinan and, and Worf as a bouncer, we need a DJ, too. Who's our DJ? Oh, man. Neelix? No, actually, I got one. Akona. Nice. Yeah, because he DJed at the party for uh, in Lower Decks. You know? Good point. It's going to be better than a plastic violin concerto recital. Like, yeah, <laughs> that's surely. Uh, Stamets, maybe? He seems to have a, Yeah, he, he's he's in touch with the beat. You know, that kid, he got he knows what the fucking high kids want to hear. Like, oh, man, I know how to get maybe the Tilly. people dancing. Tilly would be a good <laughs> DJ. I don't think so. I don't think Tilly so. Tilly would think... be a dancer, I think. Like a go-go dancer? <laughs> oh, that's perfect. Like a bad but enthusiastic go-go dancer. Sort of in <laughs> character. Like rhythmic, but sort of just like technically correct. It's no Ahura fan dance, which again- Star I definitely want to go to this restaurant now. madness. Um, <laughs> well, that, that's, we've staffed up our restaurant pretty well here. I want to put in uh, Wesley Crusher as bar back because there's no- Gotta have one of those. Gotta have someone to just be in the way and Bus boy. not be getting ice, not no. loading the dishwasher right. <laughs> I'm really slagging off young Mr. Crusher, warp god, but I don't know. Nepotism's weird. I um that's it. It's been a lot of fun to do the show again with y'all. People I know and like and did not have a system of like sorting or HR allocation or like scoring of various keywords or any of the things that seem to go into modern hiring. Like how much do I love the project? I love the project a lot, but how much are you willing to literally kiss my ass? I mean, it's a non-zero, but largely metaphorical amount. 
If I call you at 11.45 on a Friday night and tell you to come in at 8, will you say yes, please? Will you love this place more than your family? Somebody posted a meme a while back, or, or cartoon, I guess, where somebody was like applying for a job. I was like, so, you know, tell me how much you're going to love working here. And they said, oh, no, I, I don't care about that. I just I just want to make money. And this, the guy looks at him and says, look me in the eye and tell me you would throw yourself in a live grenade for this Wendy's. <laughs> Yeah, right. I'm really passionate about whatever it is we do here, sir. I mean, I got one more wrench to throw in it before we sign off, though, Paul. I'm sorry. Get it? Would Q be there? And if so, what would Q be doing? He would be the most chaotic customer. Like, hear me out. I think Q actually, and I didn't think about this until after I already asked what he would be doing. But I think Q would be a sommelier. Sure, but all the wine tastes like a corpse. I was about to say, I can't imagine him being useful in any capacity. No, he's like really shitty at it. That'll that'll do. No, he's great at describing it. It's just he makes the wine taste like, you know, a nebula. The hair of a Yeti from this weird, obscure planet. No, they're extinct. (laughs) It's really rare. Why aren't you looking happier about it? Uh, yeah, you just captured it. Also, uh, sommelier is a fake made-up job, so. Look, all jobs are fake made-up jobs for the most part. Talk about make-work, really. There's a lot of make-work on this in this galaxy. We should embrace it. Everyone should have one. I'm going to be a fact-checker. Hey, turns <laughs> out most of the things still exist, I guess. Images showing the doom of humanity have been slight exaggerations so far. Anyway, um, uh, you can find the show at, at GaySpaceCommunism on Twitter. Find me at, at hashtag subtext on Twitter, at, at, at criticalbitcast on on Twitter, and that's a different show where we talked about it at the beginning. Uh, someone else plug literally any of the other things you have going on. I know there's some. Hey y'all, um, I've been Amy Hassel. That's uh, a hassle on Twitter. Two S's, four A's. And this is Corey. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at CM Archibald. And I'm also working on another show that uh, hopefully will be starting to release in the next month or so. Uh, that's called Breaking what? Left. Yeah. When that happened? Don't tell me. I'm yeah. Off. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll fill you in. But Rachel, for right now, you should fill in this empty space in the track. Yeah, so uh, I'm Rachel. I have once again been chased off Twitter by the fuzz. They figured out who I was and kicked me off again. This time I'm not going to make another one, though. I'm done with Twitter. It's a bad place anyway. However, everywhere else, you can find me at ReachRachelCon. And if you love this content and would like more of it, you can check out Not Safe Media. We have several great shows, including this one, including Sentai Truther Club, which I mentioned earlier, and of course, including Hot Girl Agenda. If you would like to give us money for these shows, you can go to patreon.com slash not safe, or you can go to our Threadless shop, which exists. We have our capitalism is cringe Christmas sweaties back out if you want to get a nice gift for your family. It's good We're going to be working on some Space the Rich merch, too, for, for oh, uh, yeah, Space Oh, yeah, we cast. sure are. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, need, I need some Space the Rich merch in my life. Well, if we can get our shit together, it's already available. That being said, uh, looking good, folks. But next year, we love you dearly. And Space the Rich, as always. Space the Rich. Space the rich, y'all. I'm gay.